0: When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate of the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout Awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation of the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and is to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce. So that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phaniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, there, fasting and prayer, and coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to the town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. So today is the Feast of the Holy Family, uh, like I mentioned earlier, and so we heard in all the, the different readings about family. Uh, one of the lines that really stuck out to me as uh, Kim was reading it today is, uh, be, uh, be respectful of your, your father, even if he loses his mind, right? <laughs> Which is kind of a, a funny line in there, um, in it all. When we talk about the Holy Family, and sometimes when we talk about the saints as well, we, we can look at the Holy Family, look at the saints' lives and say, well, they kind of had it all, right? Of course they had a Holy Family. Of course they had peace. Of course, you know, it was, it was kind of easy for them because, well, they're, they're saints because they were perfect. And we we'll look at the Holy Family and we can sometimes uh, say kind of the same, Right? Uh, The three members were all uh, amazing, right? We've got Jesus, who uh, is the Son of God, who is fully human, uh, but fully divine as well. He's actually incapable of sinning. So we have that as a son, right, which makes a big difference. Then you have a mother who's conceived without sin. So she is also full of grace uh, and never has sin, nor has the stain of sin. And then some people, uh, some theologians have speculated that St. Joseph clearly was, was, well, not speculated. So we know that St. Joseph was one of the greatest saints, right? We don't know very much about him, but we know that he was ex- a, a very, very holy man to be chosen as the foster father, father of Jesus. And some theologians speculate that although he might have not been immaculately conceived, some theologians speculate that he was, conce- or he was uh, preserved without sin after his birth. And so he never uh, sinned in action um, in his life. So you have those three and you say, well, what does my family, what does my experience have in relation to theirs, right? I mean, our family is filled, I don't know, yours is, as well. All of our families are filled with sinners because we're part of them, right? We have people who, uh, who can't get together, right? Who fight, who complain, who are jealous, who, you know, just don't want to be with each other at times, right? Our families are imperfect. And so why can we look at this perfect family and say and learn anything from them? We learn from them because even though that they were perfect, they still experienced the realities of human life and human family. That Jesus, even though that he was the son of God, was still a child and most likely cried at inopportune times also fell down, got hurt, right? Uh, There were certain inconveniences of normal daily life living with another person. We also see that Joseph and Mary right away at the beginning of their marriage experienced great difficulties where Mary becomes pregnant and Joseph is looking to divorce, but yet then takes her on, right? That must have been a lot of stress. Even though that they were perfect in their actions and without sin, they still experienced some, a lot of suffering and difficulty in that. And then, you know, just think about the traveling to, to Bethlehem, right? Mary is eight and a half, nine months pregnant and traveling that far distance. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't comfortable for Mary or for St. Joseph, right? And then when they get there, they can't find anybody, right? So they've experienced all this. And then after that, they also have to flee to Egypt. Oh, forget about that. And then St. Joseph's got to try to find a job and provide for this family. And so even though that they're without sin, they still experienced the difficulties and the struggles of daily life, which sometimes weigh us down. The the struggles, the suffering, the the not knowing what's going to happen next. They are a family which we can look to. And to be able to ask for their help and guidance. Because even though they don't share in our sin, they share in our suffering and our struggles in this world. Now, one of the things specifically in the Holy Family that blows my mind is the interaction between Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Now, again, like I said, Jesus is the Son of God, right? Pretty special kid. Um, And yet... He chooses to be a child, chooses to be a child and interact in the family. He doesn't just come in and say, hey, I'm not listening to you. I'm the son of God. I know what's going on. Uh, He actually grows. Now, we don't know exactly what this looks like, how much he knew or how much he didn't know, what kind of things he grew in knowledge of. But it says that he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now we also hear, if we continue this uh, chapter of Luke, we also hear the only other story about the childhood of Jesus. And that's the story, of course, where they go down to the temple area uh, as annual, an annual visit. And then Mary and Joseph, even though that they're perfect parents, still lose Jesus, right? <laughs> they, they journey a few days and then they're like, oh wait, where's our kid again? Um, and then have to go back to find Jesus, who's there teaching the scribes and Pharisees. Like, crazy, right? So here's a 12-year-old boy teaching and asking questions and engaging in that dialogue. And he could have said, I'm good. This is where I'm supposed to be. But, but Mary says, where were you? Why, why didn't you come, right? And now you need, to, you need to come back to Nazareth with us. And he obeys. Now, what's beautiful about that line is, is at the end of that, they say that he returns to Nazareth, Nazareth, And Jesus was obedient to them. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. That's a very specific line. He was obedient to them. All right? We're supposed to be obedient to God, right? But yet, in this case, God has made himself obedient to Mary and Joseph. And that's a beautiful meditation for ourselves when we sometimes think that we're beyond obedience, right? Right? We kind of know what's best. Um, Thankfully, within the military context, uh, we know what obedience, uh, a little bit more than maybe some of our civilian counterparts in the United States that sometimes just preach freedom, right? And certainly freedom is so important, but we, we also understand that there's obedience within that. And so when we are given an order or told to do something, we might not like it, but we know how to do it, right? How to follow orders. And similarly, in our, in our spiritual life with God, there's a lot that He asks us to do that in some cases is an order, right, that we don't want to do. In fact, there's a lot within the Gospels that we don't want to do, that we should be obedient to, but we're, we're not, we aren't always, right? Because we struggle with obedience, because we are children to the Father who aren't always perfect children. But I just want to, want to point that out, that obedience is so incredibly important that even Jesus himself submitted to the obedience within family. Now, for all the children here, right, this is not what you want to hear, right? Uh, it's not, not, the, not the most fun thing. Um, but in, but uh, it's also important for parents. And I find it also beautiful within the second reading that it says, you know, uh, children, be, obey your parents in everything everything not just some things not just the things that you want or you think that they know right you know uh your parents know that they're not perfect right you know that your parents aren't perfect but you still have to be obedient to them in everything (laughs) still doesn't matter um and so but i think it's very important that it also says fathers do not provoke your children right This obedience isn't supposed to be an obedience of power or dominance, but it's supposed to be an obedience of love, of desiring that your parents desire your good, and so in that you are obedient, even if you don't understand it or even if you don't agree with it, right? As long as they're not asking you to do something, you know, bad, right? Um, that you are obedient to them in everything. Um, this also comes, interestingly enough, why is this so important for children to learn? Well, we need to learn in the very clear ways. Um, what we kind of say is um, kind of the, the physical obedience so that we can be spiritually obedient. Within the church, we also have this, uh, most especially for religious, uh, religious brothers and sisters who are obedient to their superiors, For myself, that's also, I'm obedient, I make a a promise instead of a vow of obedience and respect to my bishop. And so in order for me to be spiritually healthy, in order for my ministry to be good, there are certain times when I might disagree with my bishop and say, well, I'd rather be doing this. But if I'm ever disobedient to him, I'm ruining, because ruining my, my spiritual life and ruining kind of my obedience to God, because if... If I can't be obedient to my bishop, who is the will of, will of God for my, me and my life, again, a, a, an order that isn't bad, right? Um, uh, but an order that is correct, that I might just disagree with and think that this other way would be better. I need to be obedient to him because if I can't be obedient to him, who his orders are really clear, right? Because they're written down, they're in human language. If I can't be obedient to that, then it's going to be really difficult to be obedient to God who sometimes it's a little bit harder to know what God wants in our life, right? It's a little bit more confusing. A a little bit more prudence is required when discerning God's will in our life. And so we need to be obedient to the things that are clear in our life so that we can also be obedient to those things that aren't as clear, specifically God's will in that. Um. With that all-being, the family is this incredible place to be able to learn that obedience if it's done within the bond of charity. It is also a place, of course, where the family is uh, learning obedience, which I just wanna, wanted to pull out for this homily but also a place, of course, of faith, to learn a place of prayer uh, and um, what's the other one uh, of also of love, right? Uh, to be a place where they learn to receive love, and also to give love, right? And that's an important place in what we, which we learn within our family. Um, we, uh, within the scripture, I just want to uh, touch on one other uh, part that it is a little bit difficult. So actually in the second reading today, uh, which is from Colossians, uh, there's two different options for the church. We can either offer the long form or the short form. And the short form leaves off the last paragraph. And the last paragraph is sometimes the most difficult, or at least gets us in a little bit of trouble. It uh, starts out, "Wives be subordinate to your husbands, right? And I think it's proper at certain times uh, to leave this off because it's so often misused, right? It's been misused at times of of, uh, a subordination of power and dominance. But well, we should understand within Christianity that this subordination or any sort of leadership is not about power and dominance, right? We see this most especially with Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, but yet humbles himself, right? He, he doesn't lead out of power and dominance, but instead out of love, right? And so we see this also here, right? It can be misused, but wife be subordinate to your husband as is proper in the Lord. And how is it proper in the Lord? The proper in the Lord in love, right? Proper in the Lord in an order, right? Sub, under, order, subordinate. An order, what should your family be ordered to? Your family should be ordered to God. And the husband should be leading that charge, right? Should be the one out sacrificing himself as Jesus sacrificed himself for his bride, the church, Husbands should be out in front loving and sacrificing themselves for the family. Not so that they have power and dominance, but so that they, they are the leaders and order the family in that love and in God. This is, uh, you know, we, we talk about this as a spiritual uh, reality, that the husband is the head of the household. Uh, but we also see it, uh, interesting enough, there's been different studies about, the practice of the father or the mother, how much of an influence it has on the children's continued participation in the faith. And most studies, although there's different findings on different studies, but it, but it, comes, uh, it always comes back pretty consistently, that um, the best chance for children to continue practicing their faith is if both parents go to church on a regular basis. So if uh, both parents go to church on, on a weekly basis, the children have a good chance of continuing that practice. They, however, look also at families of just the mother went with all their children uh, every single week um, to church, and the children had a small chance of continuing that practice. But if it was just the father and the children and the mother didn't practice, they actually had almost as good of a chance of continuing the practice of the faith as, as both parents. Now, what does that say? That there's a reality there that the husband has a lot of, of role and influence in that. And so I'm calling out the fathers here that you have a huge impact on your children. Um, and you should be that leaders, again, not a power of dominance, but instead of love and service, ordering your family on that mission uh, to get to heaven. How do we do that? Well, certainly come to Mass. I'm going to promote that, right? Weekly Mass, a good uh, benchmark to have. But we also need to do more than just that. That's not quite enough. We, we realize that. There needs to be a daily prayer, right? A daily prayer that you have. Hopefully, one of the beautiful things about coming to Mass together is that you're able to pray together, well, hopefully that also happens in other parts of your life. Because if this is the only part of your life that you engage God in prayer, well, it's, there's going to be some struggles, right? Because you're not necessarily bringing God into all the other areas. And so, uh, it, you know, you're not exactly connecting, connecting all the points. And so it's one of the... Uh, um, but it shouldn't just be... Uh, I, I hope all of you have some family prayer, communal prayer, at least on a regular basis, if not every night. Uh, but it also needs to be personal as well. Uh, Children and those around us, right, smell out uh, people who aren't genuine pretty quickly, right? And if we're just going to Mass or if we're just praying just because it's something that we have to do with the family, well, children and those around us catch it pretty quick. Uh, And so there needs to be also a personal prayer there as well that children should catch their parents praying. Catch them in the sense that they're not just, do, you're not just praying just to show them what to do, right? But you also have your own prayer as well, and that they catch you praying. Just uh, a simple prayer, though, makes all the difference in a family and in a marriage. I had, uh, I'll share with you the last story. Uh, I was at a wedding, and uh, got to t- it was a military wedding, and was talking with a couple, And they shared this beautiful story about their kind of journey in the last few years is that they got married in the Catholic Church, but the one was Catholic and the other one was uh, nominally Christian, went occasionally, and they got married in the church and they got some marriage prep by the priest. And the priest said, at the very least, you should pray in our Father together. Hold hands, look at each other's eyes, pray in our Father every single day, uh, and that'll make a world of difference. Well, they didn't really pay attention that much. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't take that advice. They got married and then they, they called it good and continued living their own lives. Uh, after a few years, though, as, as marriage is really difficult uh, and it, marriage in the military is even more difficult, they drifted apart, right? And they were contemplating divorce, talking about divorce, and that would be better. They were just ready for it to be done. And they said, well, you know, we did receive this one advice to praying our father together, Uh, Why don't we just try that and see how that goes for a month? And so that's what they did. They made the commitment. They're like, we don't, we don't, they they didn't have other prayer lives. They didn't go to mass on a regular basis. And they just started praying in our father every night, whether they were together or whether they were apart and they were able to, or whether uh, they weren't able to. And they just made a commitment to praying our father with the other person in mind. And it transformed their life transformed their marriage. They started to go to Mass on a regular basis. They now, I mean, they don't have a perfect marriage, but they were in love again. They were in love because they brought God back into it. And so just encourage you in that, at the very simplest, right? All of us knowing our Father. Just that simple can make a huge difference. We want this parish to be filled with families, but we want it to be filled with holy families. And so that starts with coming here. Uh, and it continues with our continued inviting of Jesus into our lives. Um, And so uh, on this Feast of the Holy Family, might we ask their intercession to guide us in our journeys in our families as well.